Okay, well, let's just start with a word of prayer here, and then we'll just uh, talk about the class, and then we'll, we'll get a start on it. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness to us, for your grace to us. Thank you for your word. It will be the topic of our discussion through much of this semester. Lord, I ask as we, as we study it and uh, think about it, uh, that we would uh, grow in our appreciation of it and our use of it as, uh, we, uh, as we try to live out our Christian walk before you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so right in front of you, you see uh, the outline syllabus for the course. Um, systematic one, there's going to be seven or eight. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. There's, I have, I've, I've still got some uh, deciding to do on that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you, you've already met me. There's my contact information if you need to get a hold of me for any reason. Uh, course description here is that it's an introduction to systematic theology, so we're just going to talk about what systematic theology is, as opposed to other disciplines like biblical theology and exegesis and exegetical theology, historical theology and such. Uh, so we're trying to put it into its place in the uh, program of study. That's called sometimes prolegomena, uh, so before the words. Okay, So before we start talking about the theology, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what it is. Together then with the survey of the first head of systematic theology, uh, systematic theology is usually broken down into heads, uh, Bible, and God, doctrine of Christ, Holy Spirit, sin, man, salvation, and the like. So that, that's that's what our plan is to talk about. We'll also give some attention to the central message and structure of the Bible uh, with a short section at the end on dispensationalism. Probably only be the last two nights, so it's just a survey. Um, but uh, just gives us a little introduction on how the Bible is organized. We'll meet here, as we've been mentioning, 7.15 to 8.15, Wednesday nights, starting tonight and going through May 2nd, with the exception of the Wednesday night after Easter Sunday. So our purpose, then, is to introduce the student to a theological study, provide the student with a basic framework of knowledge regarding the nature, character, organization of the Christian scriptures. Uh, so I know a lot of you guys are pretty well <laughs> equipped already on some of this material, so a lot of this will be reviewed to, uh, to you, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll take it forward at least a step for, for everybody along the way here. There's three readings uh, for the class. They're not long. I think the total... My, to my total was 222, uh, so uh, if, I, if I counted right. Um, but uh, there's you have a notebook in front of you with a, a binder here that has uh, two readings in it, and then you've got available here this book as well. I think it's free for you folks who are taking the class, so it looks like everybody's got that. Um, uh, the other readings is a, is a short reading. It's a 10-page article. Who needs systematic theology when we have the Bible? Question you often hear. Uh, why, why do we need to go through all this this heady stuff if we've got the Bible and we can just read it? And uh, hopefully get a few answers there. We'll also give some class as well. Mike Horton, I didn't write that down there. Michael Horton is the uh, one who wrote that article. 
in the modern Reformation here about ten years ago. The other book here is The Doctrine of the Word of God. Uh, it's out of print. Here's my copy, uh, but it's been copied. I, I got permission from uh, Dr. Thomas's wife uh, to, to copy it for my classes a number of years ago. She may not be alive anymore. I suspect she's not. Uh, but uh, she gave me permission to copy this for all my classes, so I've been I've been doing that ever since. I don't know what his parents were thinking here, but uh, Thomas Thomas. But, uh, <laughs> but but that's uh, what what can I say? Uh, it's a very helpful book. Um, for years, there really wasn't a good seminary textbook for bibliology. There's just not. There just weren't any good. Introductions to bibliology that cover all the major topics uh, you know, tend to be a, a real. You tend to look at the various pieces of bibliology. So there'd be books on inspiration, inerrancy, or canonicity, and such like that. But a, a basic introduction was very hard to find. Uh, it's now been written. John Frame has written a book on the uh, on the Word of God, which is quite good. Uh, but I've always, I've, uh, but for my institute class, uh, which I that which I teach at up at uh, the church, I've been using this for years because it, it is a really nice, concise introduction here uh, to all the all the basic issues in bibliology, doctrine of, of, of the scriptures. So I, I really highly recommend it to you. There's nothing I don't know another book like it that's that's quite this good. Uh, so hopefully you find it useful and it's. Uh, it's very accessible too. Um, so you can see there at the bottom of the page, um, the uh, the first two sources are in your notebook, and uh, if you, I, I set up a, a Dropbox of my own here for you uh, that you can access. I think you, you need to request permission to you, you 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 go to this website and you have to request permission for access, and I and I can give it to you then. So. It, it works better if you click on the link there, but uh, it'll take you a little while to type in all those letters, but you can get there. And the other book is, like I say, is, is been purchased for you. If, you. if you want a Kindle copy, it's available on Kindle, too. If you've got Kindle Unlimited, you can get it for free. So if that's uh, your if that's your pleasure. Two basic assignments here. It's not it's not a heavy, heavy class here, but uh, just want to keep your keep you honest. So uh, there's two expectations. Reading, read these uh, assigned readings uh, according to the schedule, which is on the back of what you, you've got there. So I tried to break it down into chunks. Sometimes they're a little bit longer. Sometimes they're a little bit shorter. It's just based on the length of some of the chapters here is really the issue. Uh, so you can see here, it's not going to necessarily line up exactly with the teaching. I'm not actually, when I say it's their textbook, it's really peripheral reading. It's not like I'm working through the textbook. So uh, we might not always line up with what we're talking about, but uh, uh, we'll eventually talk about all the topics there. Okay? Uh, so uh, you complete that reading, and that's worth 25% of your grade. Just fill in the, uh, the gray sections when you finish the reading. You just you just write down that you finished it and the date, and by the end you should say that you finished all the pages, and hopefully you got it done in time. Okay. And then the other the other part of the assignment is some sh- quizzes. Uh, probably a 
eight to ten question quiz at the beginning of each each session. Um, mostly true false. I won't guarantee they're always true false, but probably most of the time they'll be true false. To review the material covered in class the previous week, so we won't actually be tested over a reading, uh, uh, but we'll be we'll be tested over the material we cover in class. So the notes primarily. Discussions can come in there too, but it's primarily the notes that we'll be uh, we'll be looking at. The quizzes will be graded in class with a view to review and refine refinement of areas that were poorly communicated or misunderstood. So we want to use that as sort of a, a reinforcement time. So if you didn't catch something because I communicated it poorly or you just weren't listening well, uh, we can see if we can't uh, remedy some of those problems. Okay, so that's 75% of your final grade, and we'll have one of them each time we, we meet together. Okay, does that make sense? Pretty simple. Okay. Okay, well then let's, uh, without further ado, jump into uh, the notes proper here. You can see I start out with this section, part one. Pro- so we start with this section. We start with calling it prolegomena. Again, that's the introduction to the discipline of systematic theology. And I start with a bibliography. We could spend a lot of time here if you really want to. Um, I, I suspect that it would get dull quickly. Um, what I've tried to do is sort of put just about all the credible systematic theologies that have come out in the last 50 years most of these are evangelical. Some perhaps skied on the edge a little bit here. But for the most part, these are evangelical theologies. I use evangelical in the broadest sense. People who believe the gospel uh, and uh, and uh, who believe in the inerrancy of the Christian scriptures, Trinitarian <coughs> theology, and, 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 and the like. Um, uh, so so I, sometimes evangelical is a little bit of a narrower topic uh, subject here. So reformed would not be evangelical, but I'm, I'm sort of lumping everyone who believes the Bible uh, is inspired, given to us by God, and is without error. Uh, that's pretty much all the books here that are represented. I've, I've highlighted some of the uh, superior ones here, if I can. Um, uh a couple of them are excellent, at least in terms of coming from dispensational point of view. Again, that, if that's a term, I think for the most part you probably know what that term means, or at least have an idea of what it means. Um, but uh, that's where that's one of the one of the areas that we want to defend here is the organizational structure of the Bible. And MacArthur and McCune both uh, reflect that, so those are those are highlighted there. There's others too, like Charles Ryrie, Will, uh, 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 Lewis Berry Chafer is another here that's uh, that's dispensational. Uh, but MacArthur and McCune, MacArthur's just came out here about six months ago. It's it's probably more Dick Mayhew that is the uh, is responsible uh, for the editing of it. John MacArthur's name is on it. I'm sure he's. Uh, had some input there, but probably Dick Mayhew is the uh, uh, the uh, really the editor there of of record biblical doctrine, a systematic summary of Bible truth, and then Dr. McCune's systematic theology of biblical Christianity. 
Um, I put down volume one because that's the one that uh, has to do with this class, but it's actually a three-volume set um, that was uh, released. Uh, the book volumes were released over the course of years. A um, couple other... Yeah, Dr. McCune taught at Detroit Baptist Seminary for, what, about 30 years. Uh, and so he sort of was the, you know, at least in terms of the systematic theology, the sort of the, the backbone of the school for, for decades. Um, so, Is uh, Wayne Grudem not dispensational? Wayne Grudem is not dispensational. He's reformed. Um, although I would probably say that... If I would, if I were to classify that systematic theology, I would say he's probably more evangelical than anything. Uh, it's Baptist, it's Reformed, uh, but I, but I think probably more than anything, I would classify that as a an evangelical theology uh, in in the in the narrower sense. Um, so yeah, it's also charismatic. He he the tension with Grudem uh, that that earns a dagger on our. Uh, on our uh, on our little, we put out a faculty book list. We just released uh, released a new one for 2018. He used to be in charge of it, so <laughs> so he's got a vested interest in it. But uh, even Rudum always gets a little dagger because he's charismatic, uh, uh, believes in sign gifts uh, and continuing sign gifts and prophecy, New Testament prophecy that's ongoing. Uh, so uh, that's that's the big tension there, and probably the biggest reason he. He doesn't get a little higher ranking here from me. Um, others who are from the Reformed uh, point of view here, Robert Raymond is a very conservative Reformed fellow. Um, I mean, he's very Reformed. You know, he's 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 uh, he's five point Calvinist, superlapsarian. I mean, he's he's all the whole nine yards. He's thoroughly Reformed. Uh, others here they're the same way would be, be Hodge and Horton um, and such uh, see if there's a couple Buswell would fit in that category largely too frame um, Millard Erickson uh, he's, he's an evangelical he's also Baptist along with with Grudem uh, but again I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the they're Baptist with a capital B. Uh, when it comes to the ecclesiology, they are Baptist, but uh, uh, that's that's not the hallmark of the uh, material. There's there really aren't too many really thoroughly Baptist systematic theologies here, except for some older ones. James uh, James P. Boyce, for instance, or John Gill uh, would be very very Baptist systematic theologies. Of course, McCune is too, but yeah. So, Augustus Hopkins Strong would be very Baptist along the way, too. Um, and then I also put in Robert Culver here. Started out dispensational, uh, but drifted a bit uh, when he was uh, on the mission field, came back as a, as, as a, as a more reformed uh, systematic theologian. But in general, still a very conservative work. So the ones that are highlighted are some of your more conservative, recent, somewhat, mostly up-to-date uh, systematic theologies there. We can talk about the others, but unless you have questions about them, I'll probably just go ahead and skip that, unless you've got a burning question about one or more of these, or one that's not here, we can talk about them. I think uh, John may have mentioned Grudem, because Grudem is is very well done. Yes. Very 
clear. If Grudem wasn't charismatic, and you know, we would use everybody would use. I still, we still, yeah. I still you love Grudem. We all love Grudem because he, when he writes on the subject bibliology, he's very clear. It's very, but he's got those caveats about charismatic, third, you know, charismatic. Yeah, like, which we, I think undercuts really his bibliology. I know. <laughs> it, it is funny because he's got one of the best sections on bibliology, he does. and then, and then I think he undermines it by saying yeah. there's ongoing revelation that effectively competes with the Bible. So, <clears throat> so, uh, so, yeah. Um, Grudem, he's a very clear, lucid writer. Yeah. Although the organization of that book has always been a little bit weird. Yeah. So, I think one reason it was good because you know when he when he wrote this, he was at Trinity and he he passed out sections to his students and they would read it and go over it and he'd get a thought feedback. And, and he's writing a revision before he died. He's got what's he got? Parkinson's? I think he's got he's got Parkinson's or something, but he's. Mm-hmm. Gonna revise this. It's not noticeable. At least the last I saw. Is it Parkinson? He's got something. That's, that's, I think it's Parkinson's. Yeah, it could be. But he wants to revise that. Anyway. Well, there's medication that can keep that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I give it then a page to theological method too. Uh, these are more things about. It, it, more about the discipline of systematic theology. Some very helpful uh, works here that if you want to read read up on them. Um, uh, Murray, John Murray and B.B. Warfield have real concise <coughs> introductions to the discipline of, dis- of systematic theology that are very, very helpful. Uh, I think uh, Carson has a very good article on the relationship of systematic theology to exegesis uh, so, uh, and then I have Horton's article in there. It's a little bit more popular article, but I think it's really nice. It's nicely done. So it's it's the one I'm having you read there. Okay. So so that's that's some bibliography stuff. Again, I don't want to uh, drone on and on about bibliography, uh, but uh, I probably should have annotated it a little bit. But so some of, some of them there, I, I've got Methodist theologies and I've got. Roman Catholic theology and some of your some of your leading theologies of the different denominations along the way too. So, uh, if uh, if you ever have a question about those, why just why just holler? Oh, we have McCune here, right? Is on the shelf, and uh, I guess that's about the only one we probably can probably get a card Yeah, well, I think we do have maybe a copy of MacArthur. We were going to get a copy of MacArthur. We, we did order yeah, some MacArthur, I think. Okay, then. Well, let's let's start here, then, on our in earnest, then, in the notes, and we'll start talking about just the idea of systematic theology. What is systematic theology? I, I find there's all kinds of funny ideas about systematic theology, so let's see if we can less rate, lay some of those to rest and then uh, and then add a little bit of, of meat to what we're, we're talking about here. Etymologically, the word theology, it's a pretty simple Greek, it comes from two Greek words, theos, God, and logos, word or study of, probably more accurately here. So the study or science of God. Now this if if we if we just left it there, that would be the very narrowest definition of theology, sometimes called theology proper. So the study of 
God alone. Uh, but more broadly, when we talk about systematic theology, we're talking about the study or the science of the relationship of God and everything else. Okay, so all things that are not God. So that's what we're talking about with theology. Uh, so it's not a scary word or a dangerous one here. Uh, we also have this word systematic, which I think is, is the word that can really tend to be confused. Um, I start off by saying what systematic doesn't mean, and then I talk about what it does mean. Uh, so systematic theology does not mean just methodical theology that is describing an orderly or organized way of doing theology. We talk about people who are very systematic or methodical people. Uh, now, hopefully we do it in such a way that it is fairly methodical so it can be understood, but that's not what we mean when we use the word systematic. It doesn't mean topical either, uh, describing the structure of theology according to themes uh, rather than according to the historical flow of the biblical text. Now, sometimes it's what it sort of appears to us, because we've said there's ten disciplines or heads of theology that we, we look at, but it's more than just, when we're talking about systematic theology, we're not just talking about ten separate topics here. We're actually trying to integrate them into a system. That's why we call it systematic. I'm getting ahead of myself. And certainly, systematic does not mean governed by an independent man-made system. Okay, that's just, I think, uh, what sometimes people get, get a little bit antsy about the idea of systematic theology. Oh, we shouldn't do that. That's adding logic to the Bible, human logic to the Bible. That's, we should never do that. We should just use the Bible alone. And, and so we should never try and, uh, add some sort of human organizational structure to it. Um, that's not what we mean by systematic, uh, either. Uh, I mean, we, we do try to, tease out some of the organizational structure here, but we're trying to uh, create a, a structure that's already there. Not, we're not trying to impose some sort of system upon our reading, uh, but actually we're trying to draw the system of theology that's there. That we're, we're trying to relate all the doctrines with each other. So, that, so along the way, as, especially as we work our way through the whole program here, the more and more we go through it, the more we're able to talk about how the disciplines interrelate. That's what we mean by systematic. That it creates a single system of truth that all locks together, okay? And so it forms, it, it forms itself. Each of the parts inform uh, the others, okay? So, uh, now it's true that uh, as we work our way through systematic theology, we do come to some conclusions that help us when we read difficult parts of the of the scriptures, so if you we, for instance, we come across uh, parts of scripture that seem to conflict on the on on the face of things, you know, Paul, for instance, uh, says in uh, in Romans that uh, that Abraham was not justified by works but by faith alone. Well. Uh, that's uh, that's good. And then James comes along and says, well, he was justified by works and not by faith alone. And you say, okay, I, I, I don't get it there. It, it looks like there's an internal conflict. And so what systematic theology then allows us to do is say, okay, what does the whole Bible say about this topic? And having, having exposed that, then 
scripture, these, these, these conclusions along with the predominant weight of clear scriptures can now inform the difficult passages. In this case, I think what we have here is, is, uh, uh, where, where Paul is saying that we are justified by faith alone and not by works of the law. But James says that the kind of faith uh, that uh, that uh, that we have is one that exhibits itself in works. Okay, and so there is a there is a harmonization that can take place, and that's what systematic theology allows us to do. It allows us to harmonize uh, the whole of the scripture because there's a whole system. So that's what we mean then by the term systematic it has to do with the philosophical structuring of truth into a framework or a worldview. Hence, a system, that's why we use the term, according to some authoritative rubric. In this case, it's the Bible. Okay, So the Bible is that which informs how all of truth comes together in a single concatenated whole. Okay, so, uh, so systematic theology then does more than just summarize what the Bible says. It explains and incorporates all truth into a single interlocking system. So the term then carries with it not only an authority to which all thought needs to conform, that is the Bible, that's our norm, that's, that's, that's our only source of authority uh, that is independent, but also speaks to the unity of all the truth under that authority. All of the Bible fits together into a single system. And uh, maybe we'll wax a little bit philosophical here, uh, if you... If you you're, if you read philosophy and you you want to uh, um, you, you, you want to decide uh, what is truth, uh, there's basically two approaches uh, to deciding what is true. Okay, the first is correspondence. Okay, and, and if I could, if I would ask you, you know, what is truth? Define truth for me. Uh, maybe I could do this, but let me just. Just give an give an answer here. Um, a lot of a lot of would lot would answer. Well, it's that which corresponds to reality. Okay, uh, so it's it's that's what truth is. It's it's whatever is real. What is whatever, and uh, that's that's true. Probably we can go a little bit further than that. Uh, we can say that truth is that is which God would say about a thing. Okay, so that now sometimes we can get confused about what reality is. Uh, but uh, but what God would say about a thing is what truth is, okay? And so and so, what do we know? How do we know what God would say about a thing? Well, it's the Bible, and so a system of truth then that is a valid system of truth, a system of theology, is one that corresponds to what the Bible says. That's why we talk about the correspondence theory of truth. The the the, the system is true. Because it reflects what God says in the Bible. Okay, but we're doing more than just repeating what God says in the Bible when we do systematic theology. Again, we're trying to relate it all together. So there's a second understanding of truth out there, which is called the coherence theory of truth. Uh, uh, generally, this is this idea is sort of tied with postmodernism that there is no absolute truth anywhere uh, and so what it, what what is truth is what works as a as a as a as a unit of thought so 
doesn't really matter what it, whether there's there's any sort of absolute truth that's out there. It's just that if if it works, then it's then it's a good system. There is a sense in which it's true that if we have a true theory of truth, a tr- true system of truth, it has to agree with itself. Okay, and so that's that's the idea here. Uh, not only does a system of theology have to agree with what God says in the Bible, it also has to agree with itself. Uh, oftentimes people do systematic theology without a view to the Bible agreeing with itself, harmonizing <coughs> texts of scripture that seem to be in conflict. Uh, and I, and I, I stress the seem to be in conflict because the scriptures are never in conflict with one another, but at times they seem to be. Okay, And so it's the task of systematic theology is to take all of these pieces, harmonize them together so that the system agrees with itself, not only agrees with the Bible. So we're, so we're trying to do both. So along the way, we'll, we'll actually have to tackle some of those questions. Uh, and in fact, that's what I think makes systematic theology fun. It's not just regurgitating what the Bible says, which has its own value, but it's also saying, okay, how, how do we harmonize these pieces of information together? And sometimes there's disagreement along the way. We'll, 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 we'll enjoy bandying about options. And uh, so, so hopefully you enjoy doing that, because we'll do that, because that's what systematic theology is about. Not just regurgitating everything that the Bible says on a given topic, but actually relating all of those pieces together. Okay? So, uh, there's other words that are used uh, for systematic theology uh, that uh, I've got listed here. Usually these are designed to clarify misunderstandings about the idea of systematic theology or to nuance a specific approach. Sometimes you'll see dogmatic theology. This has nothing to do, as it's sometimes supposed, with the disposition of the theologian. He's just a dogmatic individual. That's not that's not the point here. When we're talking about dogmatic, it is, it is studying the rubrics of Scripture according to... A, a, a dogma that is a whole body of doctrine established by some ecclesiastical structure. For instance, sometimes when you uh, look at uh, reformed systematic theologies, their structure is based on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Westminster Confession of Faith is a dogmatic state, a statement of the Presbyterian Church. And so dogmatic theology in this case is the system of theology as expressed in that particular document uh, or dogma. You can have Roman Catholic dogma, you can have Reformed dogma, and and so on and so forth. You have Anglican, the... uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, 39 articles and such. So there's there's different approaches here. Alenctic theology is sometimes used. It's rarely used today, but it has to do with alenki or philosophical presuppositions of which we must be convinced from the word alenkico, which means to convict or convince. So these are these are critical points of which we need to be persuaded. Uh, and so usually then it, it, these, these end up being specific uh Statements of theology that are fundamental, if I can use that. So fundamental or elemental theology then is another term that's sometimes used. Sometimes the word institutes is used. So the Institutes of Christian Religion by 
John Calvin, for instance. These have to do with foundationally authoritative theological principles. So, for instance, in the fundamental, uh, the, the fundamentalist movement, there were, depending on which uh, particular group you were a part of, there were five fundamentals or 14 fundamentals. These are, these are critical points that need to be defended above all. Uh, and so, so that's where you get this idea of fundamental or elemental or institutes of theology. Yeah. Those would be like virgin birth, resurrection. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, well, or? yes. Uh, and that's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting question. For the, for, the, for the five fundamentals, yes, they all tended to be, they, they all tended to uh, be clustered around the idea of the supernatural. Okay. The, the fundamentals are not necessarily the most important pieces of doctrine in the Bible. They are they were the points of doctrine in the Bible that were then under attack. Okay. Uh, so, for instance, among the fundamentals is not justification by faith, as important as that is. It's not one of the fundamentals because that's that wasn't that wasn't one of the concerns of the of the modernist movement to deny justification by faith. Now, sometimes they did, but that the the attack point was the the attacking of of the supernatural. And so the ones that you mentioned there, virgin birth was a miracle that that the, the modernist movement couldn't handle. Uh, you know, a, a resurrection, a second coming. These are the, these are the kinds of things that the modern mind would scratch their heads and say, "No, that's not possible." And so that's so those became the fundamentals, but. Recognize that those are not necessarily the most important pieces of doctrine that, that we'll talk about. So fundamental theology can be other fundamentals or key points of doctrine. Does that make, if that makes sense? We've also got integrative theology. That's uh, that's uh, used by Lewis and Demarest on the uh, list has to do with the correlation of authoritative ideas put together, so it, it has emphasis on the harmonization aspect. Warfield actually says that philosophical theology would be an appropriate synonym uh, for systematic theology. Now, this sort of takes us back a little bit because I think there's a tendency for us to think philosophy is bad and theology is good. But really, if you think about the fundamental questions of philosophy, they're the same questions as that we ask and answer in theology, right? What is what is the nature of reality? How do I know it? And what should I do with that information? I mean, that's ethics. So those are the, the you know ontology, epistemology, ethics are the three pieces of philosophy. Well, systematic theology is simply answering those questions from the biblical standpoint. So there's a sense in which what we're doing is building a philosophy, a worldview, a system. Uh, and so hence, uh, Warfield was was fine even talking about systematic philosophy, perhaps we might say Christian philosophy. Uh, so, so these are all options for systematic theology. I hate theology. to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, tell them who B.B. Warfield is, just in case. Yeah. B.B. Warfield was uh, at Princeton, the- Princeton Theological <coughs> Seminary around the turn of the century uh, uh, when the fundamentalist modernist controversy was really heating up. Um, sort of, he sort of stood as sort of the, uh, you know, he's the, stood probably 
more visibly than almost anybody else in the in the academic realm against modernism and the denial of inspiration and inerrancy, uh, at least within Presbyterianism. Uh, when he dies, uh, Princeton Seminary pretty much falls apart, um, and uh, the the few remaining faculty that were there that were that were still Orthodox. Uh, end up leaving and starting a new seminary, which was Westminster. So, so he, his book, uh, The Inspiration and Authority of the Scriptures, Inspiration and Authority of the Scriptures, is, is, is still widely regarded as one of the best books on the topic. Okay? So then, some definitions of systematic theology that are that are out there, and I, I'm, I'm I'll probably ask you next week to give me a definition of systematic theology. I'll probably grade that one on my own just to just to hear what you have to say. But what I what I what I want to sort of point out is when you when you make a definition here, there's really two elements here that you want to include in your definition here. So first of all, I say letter A at its most basic level. An explanation of the doctrines of the whole Bible according to the organizing principle of logical coherence. Okay, and what I what, don't 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 look at me askance here with that word logical. Um, remember, we are talking about theological, uh, so so it's, it is logical, uh, but uh, it's it's logical from the standpoint of God's authorship authorship of Scripture here. So. Describing logical coherence as the organizing principle of systematic theology is not a concession that systematic theology is less biblical, for instance, than biblical theology. We'll talk about biblical theology. But rather that it uses a different organizing principle. It's not going book by book chronologically through the Bible, but, a, but actually more in terms of uh, the the uh, the self consistent completed whole of the Bible, and then finding the themes that thread their way through the whole. Okay. So by describing logical coherence as the organizing principle, then it's not to be thought of as a concession. Then that systematic theology surrenders to human logic. Yeah, there's a I know of a, a professor. Who starts? Uh, he's, he's very skeptical of systematic theology, and he starts each one of his classes by writing on the board: "Systematic theology equals the Bible plus logic." Okay, and and then goes on from there to denigrate the idea of systematic theology. Uh, um, what what I what I would suggest is that a theology that that uh, that is strictly a biblical theology that just goes book by book can run the risk of being the Bible minus logic, if I can put it that way. Okay. And we don't want to do that. And, that, and that's, that's, that's the concern. The Bible has a, an inherent and intrinsic logic of its own, and we're trying to tease that out. We're not trying to add logic to the Bible. We're trying to tease out the, the logic that is intrinsic to the Bible here. Okay, so... We're trying to say that there is a logical coherence of the whole Bible, and we're trying to discover it. But more broadly, letter B here, systematic theology is an arrangement of the doctrines of the whole Bible to create something of a framework that incorporates and validates all truth. And I've got to defend that one here. 
because uh, uh, the uh, because that's that perhaps seems bigger than we can possibly do. All truth. Okay, but let's see if we can. It's not to say that there are no other sources of information out there in the world: natural revelation, history, sciences. Uh, that uh, um, we get we get contributions uh, from them. We learn things there that are not in the Bible, and and they're in some senses authoritative. I mean, they're true, but the Bible alone stands as the only self-validatingly authoritative source of theology. You know, I could perhaps ask a question: Is the sun going to rise tomorrow? Lord willing. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, barring the clouds, uh, yeah. but is it going to rise? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How do you know that? Well, the Earth is going to rotate. Okay. The Earth is going to rotate. From seeing it day after day after day. Because did yesterday, mm-hmm. and today, and today before, and the day before. Okay. Is is is, is, that, is that enough to make it true? <clears throat> Could something happen? That, Absolutely. that you know, we could hit, we had that meteorite. Fell, right? <laughs> I was outside. I was outside walking, and I, I and I, it was it was cold. I was right next to a cornfield, and this thing blew up right next. Right, I could see it, it was. A be- I had a beautiful view of this thing. And it was. Yeah, yeah, but you could get a really big meteorite that comes, hits the earth, wipes out everything. And you know, knocks us like off our axis. Like like when it knocked off the dinosaur. Right? Yeah, when it knocked, <laughs> you know, knocked us, knock, knock the Earth off of its axis. You know, send us spinning out into space, and so uh, the sun would never rise again. Could that happen? Yeah, theoretically. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> theoretically. Okay, so so how do you know it won't? Because God's truth doesn't show us the Earth ending in that manner. Right. Okay. Yeah, we've got we've got we've got statements, for instance, in Ecclesiastes that say, as long as 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 you know, as long as 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 time exists, there's going to be seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night, uh, and and we know this is going to continue for how long? Well, I, I'll I'll go out and limb here and say for at least a thousand and seven more years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, is, it, is it Colossians that says he holds all things together? Mm-hmm. Right. But and the reason we know as Christians, I think we have the property of truth in a way that an unbeliever doesn't. I can say with absolute certainty that the sun will rise tomorrow. Absolute certainty. Whereas the secular scientist who doesn't believe in God can at best say that we've got an extremely high probability of the sun rising tomorrow. Okay, but but see so what we're what we're trying to do here is say that the Bible alone gives us certainty. So there's 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 other contributions that are made by science and by history to what we know. But without the Bible tying it all together, we don't actually have a system of truth. You know, some, sometimes in, in scientific discussion, uh, you, you'll hear, okay, we talk, we, we deal in hypotheses, theory, and facts, but never truth. Well, there's a sense in which that's true for that. Okay? We deal with truth. 
Okay, and so that's 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 what that's what we're working with here, and the Bible gives us absolute certainty, at least in terms of what it uh, addresses. So we're trying to create a framework that incorporates and validates all truth, and the Bible stands at the foundation of it. So what we mean here is that there's no discipline that can successfully operate in independence from Christian presuppositions. Since systematic theology is at its heart elemental, incorporating the basic issues of philosophy, its scope exceeds biblical material and makes material contributions to every academic discipline. Okay, why is it that you know, you know, electrical engineering works? Why is it that cars work? Well, I mean, there's, there's some basic answers that we can give to that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, things like this work because there are laws of science and nature, which really are laws of God, that he has implemented in society that don't change. And that that is what makes it possible uh, for us to to you know pursue any discipline, uh, scientific or otherwise. The only reason that the world holds together is because God is. And that's was the birth of science, right? Because science scientists expected order in the earth because they believed in an ordered creator who created order in the right. nature. Yeah, it doesn't mean that people can't do practical science without believing in God. <clears throat> But uh, you know, it, it, so so there's there's operational kinds of science that that unbelievers can engage in and do quite well. Uh, in, in uh, but at the end of the day, your your point is well made. They're they're basically saying I don't know why it works this way. I just know that it does, and I can be an expert on what I don't really understand at its at its heart. So which is why we can say then that. Theology is called the queen of the sciences. And in fact, that for for centuries it was it was regarded that theology or the Bible, uh, the religion, was the queen of the sciences. Not because it, it, in the sense that uh, the, the the it rules over them. Okay, it it, 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 is, it is that which makes all the rest of the sciences make sense. As as Van Til says. Uh, Scripture speaks to everything. Doesn't mean that atheists can't do anything, or that the scripture speaks specifically about everything. I mean, you can't open up your Bible and learn about auto mechanics. I mean, it's just not included there. Nonetheless, at 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 the very foundation, auto mechanics works because God is, and that's and that's the point. Uh, so those who don't have scripture and their minds are darkened they can still discover much truth but they don't have a truth standard they don't know in a, in a sense why it works together so uh, in, in principle uh, they can they can uh, they can still do science because of common grace uh, God doesn't allow people to completely deny him even though they claim to uh, they, they can't they can't really Romans 1 tells us that quite quite plainly uh, that uh, they know God they suppress him they repress him uh, they try and bury him they try and forget what they know about him nonetheless he's there 
and because he is there, uh, he, he he asserts and exerts influence on all people, and not just not just believers. Okay. Does that make sense? Does that follow? So some some definitions of systematic theology, then, based on these two elements of what we're trying to find in, in a definition. We want to make sure that there's a there's this this idea of a logical coherence of all the data in the Bible, and then having taken all those data points and put them together into a system, we actually discover that it's a system that not only explains everything in the Bible, but actually explains everything outside the Bible as well. Okay, and so that's that's the point here, and that's reflected to a greater or lesser degree in these definitions. So, a strong uh, Baptist at the end of the 19th century, here beginning of the 20th, <clears throat> theology is the science of God and of the relationships between God and the universe. So, how God relates to everything. Charles Hodge. Theology is the exhibition of the facts of Scripture in their proper order and relation with the principles and general truths involved in the facts themselves which pervade and harmonize the whole. B.B. Warfield, I should mention Charles Hodge, uh, would have preceded Warfield at, uh, at Princeton, middle of the 19th century, wrote a uh, systematic theology that was uh, widely used in Reformed life. Warfield never wrote a systematic theology himself, uh, but uh, wrote about systematic theology here. Uh, by systematic theology, he says, is meant that department or section of theological studies which is concerned <coughs> with setting forth systematically, that is to say, as a concatenated whole, what is known concerning God. So he, he emphasizes more the first part of our, of our definition. John Murray, uh, I think, does a, I think a better job of, of defining the whole of what we're looking at. Systematic theology is the arrangement under appropriate divisions of the total witness of revelation to the truth respecting God and, secondly, his relationships relations to us men and to the world. Millard Erickson, his Southern Baptist, uh, taught for many years at Southwestern, retired now. Uh, but still is is active, goes to, uh, to professional meetings and such, ETS uh, societies. Uh, so he, he describes it here, that, that discipline which strives to give a coherent statement of the doctrines of the Christian faith based primarily on the scripture and then related to really all issues of life. There's nothing to which the Bible doesn't speak. There's nothing that's just neutral out there that God would say, I don't care. He always has <clears throat> thoughts about everything, and those can be constructed from what we know of what the scriptures say. Wayne Grudem de- defines systematic theology here as any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? And then Robert Raymond dis- defines it as that intelligent effort which seeks to understand the Bible viewed as revealed truth as a coherent whole. So, so these are all definitions here uh, that I think reflect uh, what we're going to be trying to do, trying to do here. And hopefully we've uh, we've domesticated, it, tamed it a little bit, so that it's not if it, if it seemed to you a, a scary idea, 
Uh, hopefully that sets your mind at ease that we're not doing something weird in here. Okay. Any questions on that? So just memorize the uh, A and B then? Yeah, just just understand what, what to include in, in a definition, yeah. and I'll probably ask you to, to give me one. Nothing yet. I want to ask you something at the end. Well, I want to clarify something. Can I sit next to Dr. Collins? Let me do it. You think I'm taking the quiz? I'm not in rate no fool. I just used to give the 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 most horrid true false. We've heard. I still remember this. One time, I was taking a class in. It was it was a Greek class and it was and it was a it was a it was a book vocab quiz and it was the word I can't even tell you what the Greek word is anymore but the but the definition was exceedingly that, that's what I was supposed to put down exceedingly and I wrote down exceeding and he said no that's wrong that's an adjective exceedingly is an adverb and I said but they were filled with exceeding great joy. And he said, that's the King James. <laughs> I, still, I, I did not get credit for that. For that, for that, for that. He but, never has forgiven me. <laughs> How many years ago was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's still holding a grudge. He tells a good story. Makes you look bad. So. I was just curious about the history like what would, what would be the first uh, systematic theology like in the modern sense? Like, what, 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 well, that's like a good Calvin's Institutes. Or? Well, yeah, the, that's certainly the first Protestant one, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's really a remarkable work because here's a guy who who's really doing something for the first time. You'd expect that there it'd just be filled with mistakes because it's the first try or first stab at this. But he must have really been a genius here because he put together a really outstanding systematic theology. I mean, it can be improved upon uh, at the same time. For the for the really first stab at this, this is this is just incredible. Uh, Mal- Calvin? Calvin, Calvin, yeah. Melanchthon has uh, the loci communiases and comes shortly afterwards. Um, but so it's so we're, we're so the Lutheran tradition puts out some systematic theologies as well. Uh, <clears throat> Calvin is largely thought of as the uh, first of the Protestant ones. That doesn't mean there weren't any before that, or, and, and weren't any some reasonably good ones. Uh, uh, Peter Lombard's verses um, really harks back to a to a. Uh, a Roman Catholicism that wasn't particularly Roman. It, it's actually, in fact, it was used. Uh, Lombard sentences was used in, in Protestant circles for centuries uh, after the after uh, after Protestant theologies came out. Aquinas had one had, had systematic theology as well. Uh, so there's 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 some along the way that that preceded Calvin and so it's not like it's an unprecedented idea uh, but Calvin uh, is probably one who pioneers the Protestant system uh, 
Atlantic. What's the term? Uh, Turretin. Turretin. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a he's a Protestant cult yeah. scholastic. So scholastic era sort of follows the era of the reformers. This is when it really starts to come together. And Turretin uh, puts together a Latin uh, systematic theology that was used in Princeton. Up until uh, Hodge wrote his, right. so they, they actually actually studied in Latin. They studied. You had to know Latin. You had to, you had to, go to know Latin in order to go to Princeton, because <laughs> that's what their textbook was. So. You'll still see Turretin mentioned on blogs and stuff. Well, got, it was translated, yeah. finally translated <laughs> yeah. into English back in the nineties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But not. But but prior to that, it was just in Latin. But when I was in school, I used A. H. Strong. Mm-hmm. Not, we've had all these. The ones we were talking about now have all come out since then. Yeah. And, then, you know, we've got a lot of good ones. But yeah. we used Strong, who was a Baptist, but not always that conservative. No, he wasn't particularly conservative. I mean, he was, he was making overtures to liberalism, trying to get along with them, and making some compromises along the way. So. Okay. Well, we got a good start here. There's only four minutes.